Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hi, and welcome to episode 160 of the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast. I'm Sean Wisniewski of The Corner Workshop, and I'm here with my co-host, as usual, Diami Plotke. Not that he's our usual co-host. He is a co-host. He's usually here. Anyway, he's of the penultimate workshop. Try to be. And uh, tonight we're talking about what we're not thankful for. So there. Seemed topical. It seemed anti-topical. <laughs> After Thanksgiving, why not talk about what you're not thankful for? So, Diami, what's going on? Well, um, things are moving along swimmingly in the shop, as they say. Um, <laughs> do they? They do. <laughs> I like to. Um, <laughs> okay. The ends of the entertainment center are square. That mm-hmm. was a harder process than I thought. Um, was it the 12-foot story stick that you had to make that was the problem? Or? Well, let me just put it this way. I, I ended up making two 12-foot story sticks, and I didn't use either of them. Um, hmm. So the the slabs for the entertainment center are 12-foot timber strands that were ripped into blanks and re-glued together, but they just had their factory ends on them. Like, I never cut them square. So... The story stick I have made that will hold and register the domino for all my joinery, it's not 12 foot long. And it's designed to catch the ends and used from one end and used from the other end and do a side at a time. Right. Um, so in order for it to work properly, I need every single or all four of the horizontal slabs of the entertainment center to be absolutely identical in length. And I need their ends to be absolutely square in this case to the back edge, because that's the other edge that's referenced by the story stick. Um, so hmm. the, the one slab is 16 inches wide and the remaining three slabs are 20 inches wide and they're all 12 foot long. While I could have cut the 16-inch wide one on my miter saw, it was not practical um, to put this on the miter saw because the width of this board, while it doesn't exceed the capacity of the miter saw cutting, it does exceed the, the width of the window that is next to the miter saw to allow it uh, long long pieces to go into the miter saw. So in any event, it's, 20, it's 12 foot long. We're not cutting out the miter saw. Um, <laughs> So I cut them on the track saw. So what I did, I've looked at, there's a company, it's three letters, I don't remember the letters, and it makes a, a piece that clamps onto the track for a Festool track saw, and it's like a square edge, so you can cut 90 degree cuts with it. Uh-huh. Uh, and it looks really nice, and I've seen a couple people on social media rave about how wonderful they are and how quick it is. But they're like 190 bucks. It's expensive mm-hmm. for these stupid things. And I needed, I needed it now. So not only was it more than I wanted to spend, it would have taken me a couple, you know, three, four days a week to get it. And neither of those things worked. <laughs> so I took my woodpecker's big square. Uh, the, right. I think it's 24 inch, the big one I have. And so I put that on and then I used, I set the fence against the big square. 
And while the fence does have like adhesive tape on the back to stop it, you technically you don't need to clamp it. What I found is that on when you're doing cross cuts, the smallest fence I have is four foot long for the track mm-hmm. saw. Um, so on a 16 inch piece, there's lots of fence hanging off on both sides. Um, it will move on you if you're not careful. So I picked up DeWalt. Well, let me backtrack. Festool makes clamps for the track saw. And they're these little wooden knobs and you have to twist them and they're, they suck. <laughs> uh, but DeWalt makes clamps for their track saw that are essentially quick grip clamps, but the, the piece that moves isn't a full padded foot like you would have on a regular quick grip. It's just this, this slot that fits into the, the slot on the bottom of the track. Um, so they're quick release clamps for the track. Right. Well, they fit in the Festool track also. So, and they're also half the price of the Festool clamps. Um, so I have the DeWalt clamps and anybody who has a Festool track, buy the DeWalt clamps. Uh, you can get them on mm-hmm. Amazon. They're easy to get. They're cheap and they work wonderfully. Um, so what I would do is I set the track square to the piece with my woodpecker square and then I clamped it down and I was able to cut the end square. So not, not that hard, but then I had to transfer that exact length and I don't know what it is. I'm saying it's 12 foot. It's 11 foot, uh, you know, 11 and five eighths, something like that. It doesn't really matter. Um, so yeah, you you mentioned in one of your things that you don't trust a tape measure for something. Is it this long or this repeated or why is that? Well, for these pieces, I guess if I'd used the same tape and I'd done the same te- method and gripped it, I probably could have gotten equal results with the tape measure. Mm-hmm. But in my furniture building, I have learned to not use a tape measure. I do a lot of I'm, relative dimensioning. Yep. And I just took that to this. And if I was really careful, it probably would have worked. But I didn't want to experiment and determine whether or not it was accurate enough on the entertainment center. Because if it ended up not being accurate enough, I would have been screwed. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of relative dimensioning. But when you mention that, I'm like, huh. My, I, I usually at least start with a tape measure and then I set it from there. Um, right. And if I was just cutting them to rough dimension, I would have absolutely done a tape measure. But since this was the phase of making them absolutely identically lengthed, does that make sense? The same length. I'm making yes, them same. all the same length. Um, I just didn't trust it. It might have worked out okay, but I wasn't willing to try because if it didn't work out okay, it would have screwed me over. Okay. Um, so I built a story. St- well, I <laughs> bought a 12-foot 2 by 4 to use as a story stick. And my intention was to put like a cleat on one side that would catch an end. And then I would cut it to match the length of the first of the slabs that I, I cut square. And then I would cut one end square on the next slabs. And I would then mark the other side and cut that side square. And it would be the same length as the first piece. The problem is that when I brought the two by four into my shop and then three days later went to make a um, story stick out of it, it had warped and twisted incredibly. Like, I understand as, two by fours as, have moisture content. <laughs> yeah, and, as 12 foot two by fours do. Well, exactly. And I, of yeah. course, I picked out one that was square when I bought it, but three days later in a dry, warm shop, it was a potato chip. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought about, well, it doesn't really need to be straight. It just needs to be the right length. And I went back and forth and I, I didn't do it. So I was like, well, I have all these sheet goods. So I took a couple pieces of plywood and I screwed them together to make the same thing. And I figured that'll work just fine. So I glue a stop on the end of that to make a hook. And I used that and I cut the second of the slabs that way. So I, I cut the first slab with two square ends and then I, I set the story stick to be the exact same length. And then I get to the second of the slabs and I cut it based on the story stick and the sides were not perfect. Oh, um, they were just a little bit off. Like not, I don't, I didn't even measure it, but you could feel it with your finger. It just wasn't right. And it was probably over the span of 20 inches. It would like match at one end and it would be like, you know, a 16th off at the other end, something like that. Um, okay, close but not quite. Exactly. And again, because all the joinery is based on the ends, I wanted them to be perfect. I don't want to be fighting these panels. and I, I want everything to I – I don't just want it to look square. I want it to be square when I glue it up. <laughs> so, um, so what I ended up doing was I took this big square out and I just went by eye and I set the big big square up and I drew a line and I dragged the track out to the line and – I had the 16-inch slab and one of the 20-inch slabs clamped to each other, and I I went through them with a the track saw, and I cut square ends of them again, making them just a little bit shorter. And then I took the 16-inch slab off, and I had the big slab with like half curves, and I had to r- cut the rest of it because I have the smaller of the Festool track saw, so I can't cut through two solid inches. Wake up. Okay. Excuse me. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> wide awake. I'm just uh, – it's, it's late. Um, so Oxygen I, deprived. Yeah. So I, uh, so then I cut that one. And what I ended up doing was one of the four slabs became my template. And I was literally laying that on the other slabs and marking lines and moving it out of the way and setting my fence and cutting to the lines. And while that's absolutely what I would have done if it was smaller pieces, because these things are 12 foot long and heavy, I was hoping not to have to do that. But in the end, that's what ended up being the most accurate. So I literally used one of the pieces as the template and transferred the marks directly onto the remaining pieces. So I think they're all square. I know they all match. And ultimately that's the more important thing so that when I'm setting the the story stick on them, the story stick will lay identically on all four of the pieces. And even if they're off, they'll all be off the same amount and it should work. Yeah, and it's not like this is not like squeezing between walls, or is it? No, it's it's twelve foot long, but it's fitting. There's an inside corner on one end and an outside corner on the other end. So oh, okay, it doesn't. It's going to fit there, and if it's if it's a half inch bigger or smaller, it's not going to matter. So it's mm-hmm. it's going to be fine in terms of the length. And right now, I honestly don't know exactly how long they are. I think they're eleven foot, probably eleven inches, and three quarters ish, something like that. <laughs> okay. Um, but if they're 11 foot, 11 inches and three quarters or 11 foot, 11 inches and seven eighths or 12 foot and half an inch, it, it doesn't really matter. They're, they're close enough. So the more important thing was that they're all identical and right now they are. So that's where I stand now. The next thing I'll have to do is actually do the joinery in them. Uh-huh. It was never the case where you could just stack each other, stack them exactly on each other and just mark on the edge where those dominoes would go, boop, 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 that it would work like that? Well, 
I could I could lay them on each other and make marks on the end to show like where the line for the dominoes should go. Mm-hmm. But the story stick I've made for the dominoes is it's like an F. So yeah, okay. It catches on the end and it has two arms that come out square to the to the long pole of the story stick. Right. And I've made plywood spacers. So oh, that's right. Because these are dominoes for vertical members, not. Yes, yes, yes. I'm thinking, the, yeah, okay. Yeah, no, so they're, they're in the body. They're in the body of the. the yeah, slabs. I want to call them sides, but they're not really sides because the horizontal members stick out proud of yeah. the vertical members. They're um, risers. They're. I've not come up. Risers yeah. is a good name. I've just called them vertical members, which is not really a. It's kind of descriptive, but it's a lame thing to call them. I don't really know what to call them. You know what? Yeah. I should probably ask Pekovic. I bet you the guys that find uh, a Chop Talk <laughs> as, Live would know as what they're I'm looking, called. I'm, I'm looking at storage shelves that I've got strewn across my basement, and they're all storage shelves. They've got shelves between legs. But what – I mean, whether the shelves are longer than the legs or not, aren't they still just – I mean, legs is not the right term either. But there's a there is a term there, I think, that just fits for whatever the thing that holds it up. As opposed to how wide it is. Yeah. Um, um, in in architecture, there's a term for it, I'm sure. So, anyway, regardless of what they're called, that's what I've done on the entertainment center. Mm-hmm. Um, and when now two episodes ago, when we had the guys from the Against the Grain podcast on, I had asked them the question about uh, about epoxy because the nature of the timber strand is that the the top surface I've created by laminating them as quarter sawn timber strand, it's full of little voids. Right. So after the joinery, prior to finishing, I need to fill all the voids. And I'm going to fill them with dyed epoxy. And then when I dye the piece the same color, it should all blend together and it should look kind of cool and it should provide a smooth surface. I was talking again. We were talking with the against the grain guys, and Justin had suggested, I think Total Boat was the was the brand of epoxy, and the Total Boat system. I looked it up. Um, the customer ratings on Amazon were were very good. It seems to be just as good as the West systems that everybody uses. It was about for a gallon of the Total Boat. It was about a hundred bucks, and. For a gallon of the West systems is like 130, 140. So it seems a reasonable cost savings. Uh-huh. And I was ready to get the total boat and I was like, I have no idea how much I need. Yeah. Like, I'm going to need gallons of the stuff, I think. Oh, and I started no. like puking on the cost of epoxy <laughs> because they sold a five gallon set that was only like 400 bucks. And I was like, no, I don't, I'm not spending $400 on epoxy right now. Like, it's obnoxious. Yeah, that um, seems a bit. So I just was, monkeying around on Amazon looking at different brands of epoxy and I found a brand that seems to rate well and is 60 bucks not 100 bucks huh. so what I think I'm going to do is buy that and try it on a sample piece not on the actual mantle because I'm only using it for pore filling and I'm going to dye it. So I think I am have a fair amount of tolerance in terms of the performance of the epoxy as long as it cures. I need yeah. a long cure time so I can kind of work it back and forth with like a card scraper. Not not literally a card scraper but like a plastic piece. A, a spatula. Um, yeah. Or squeegee or – yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, and kind of work it into all the holes. 
and and then old, once an old credit card exactly <laughs> once it does get squished in i need it to dry so i'm i want something with like a 45 minute open time but then when i come back tomorrow i want it to be dry and i've had issues with epoxy not setting properly but as long as it sets properly i think i'm okay so i'm i'm hoping that a cheaper epoxy will be will be just as viable um so my plan is to buy a set of the cheaper brand epoxy whose name I, escapes me. I have to look it up back up on Amazon and try that on a test piece, confirm that it works, and then do use that on the actual mantle and see how far I get with a gallon and then figure out how many extra gallons I need. Um, while it's just a very thin coating, it's a lot of surface area, so... I don't I don't have a sense as to how much epoxy I will need, but I fear it's going to be gallons. Yeah, if you think of I mean, I'm I can see my I've got a I don't know, is it a quart? What's the standard size of West Systems? Um, like I think the big container is is a gallon and the small one is a quart. Yeah, the West I don't has have a, a big weird container. ratio. Like the ones yeah. I've been looking at are all one to one ratios, so they're just it's two gallon containers. Oh. Yeah, this is this is like a like a th- three to one, because I I know the activator is a much smaller. I can't see mm-hmm. it. I've got a propane tank in the way. It's good to have propane next to epoxy, right? I, I think so. Yeah. Okay, good, because that's where they are. I have propane and map gas and epoxy. Oh, right map there. gas! I got yeah, sick right? of map gas in high school once. It's nasty stuff. Sick, really? Yeah, like we were using it in chemistry or physics, or I don't know oh. what class we were using it in, and like the fumes from it, it made me really sick. But anyway, weird. Anyway, um, anyway, but um. Yeah, I know for a fact that's like because I bought those together as a kit. Like it was like whatever. It's uh, West one hundred five, I think. I can't see it from here, but mm-hmm. um, and but like it is a a pint of activator to a quart of the resin, right? And and so it's yeah, definitely not a a one to one. But at any rate, um, do you know that this stuff is thin or thin enough to fill? It is rated as thin. I do not know that it is thin enough. Um, but ultimately, I've played with like the five-minute epoxy you buy at Home Depot. Right. And that is thin enough for what I need to. Now, five minutes is not enough open time. I need like an hour. Oh, right. Um, but in terms of its consistency and its viscosity, it's it's absolutely fine. So if it's rated as thin, I'm actually more nervous that it's too thin than that it's not thin enough. Yeah, a oh man in your in your shop. Be careful. <laughs> if you start pouring epoxy over a slab on top of your your table saw. Yeah, well, the table saw will get covered before I start doing epoxy. Or like right now, there's three slabs. There's there's four slab slabs stacked on top of each other. So I may just try this out on the top slab, and it'll have to work through three more slabs. So I think <laughs> I'll be okay. But yeah, the. Next time they all get taken out into the driveway, the tables all will get covered in plastic before they all go back in. Oh, that's um, that's good. And was it was it Freddie that mentioned like you could thin west with um, acetone? acetone? Yeah, because yeah. Freddie mentioned that again um, in the, their most recent episode that I've listened to, which is probably ah. not their most recent episode, but in part two of their glue episodes, glue, yeah, um, right. he mentioned thinning it out with acetone and. That's a useful thing to know, but acetone's nasty stuff. I don't, I don't necessarily want to do that if I don't have to. <laughs> sure. 
Um, but yeah. So, uh, so that's where the entertainment center, uh, entertainment center stands. And then this was now a few weeks ago as we're recording this, but I haven't mentioned it and I really should have is I was out at the Long Island Woodworkers show mm-hmm. and, um, great bunch of guys. This in, over the past year, I've not completed any projects that I actually own. It's all, it's either they're not done yet or they were commissions. So I, I didn't, I didn't actually display anything at the show as I sometimes do. And that was a little disappointing personally, but some of the stuff there was absolutely fantastic. And the guys who run it are really nice. Um, and what I've been doing is on the MWA Instagram account, I've been sharing pieces that I personally liked. Some of them mm-hmm. won awards. Some of them didn't, but it was the stuff that I found interesting and I, I, I've been sharing like a picture or two of the piece and then a picture of the plaque to make sure I credit whom, who actually made the piece. So if you follow us on Instagram, you'll see some of those pieces. But if you have a local guild that does a show or a showcase, I would absolutely recommend going and just spend the day and chat with the guys and have a good time talking about woodworking. Uh, you know, and w- what you're showing is awesome. I mean, there's um there's obviously a lot of really good work going on there, and it made me think before you mentioned that just now. I I don't know that there is anything like that near me, oh. and I know it's not everywhere, but you know it's not every area has a has a woodworking guild. We have a woodcraft, but I don't think we have a woodworking guild that I know of, like or or a collective. There might be something down south in the and there's a Bowling Green's a town to the south of us, but. Um, I'm not sure. Something I'll, I'll have to look into. Yeah, you definitely should. Because I've never, I've never heard of anything of the sort. So, well, I mean, this not, is just. I mean, like, I can say locally. Okay, I was gonna say. I'm sure you've heard. I, of I, working the class. concept is not foreign to me. Yeah. The the availability of one locally is what the con- what is foreign. But um, but yeah, I mean that's that's really cool. That um, not only that, it's there, but you know, the stuff you're sharing, very good. Check it out on our Instagram. Um, I um, I I have very little to report from my shop other than I found my impact drill. Oh, <clears throat> I've been missing it for months, <laughs> and it was stuck in one of my uh, lacrosse equipment bags. Of course, because I I took it to some thing to tighten screws on lacrosse heads at one point. I literally like it's been in my closet forever, and uh, my son went looking for something the other day and. Um, I, I chased him looking for the same thing and I opened that bag up and I went, Oh my God, there it is. Like when I was working on like putting the flooring in my addition, I wanted to use my impact drill and I didn't have it. <laughs> and I only had one battery to do the whole thing. And I'm like, where the hell is my other drill? <laughs> but anyway, I found it. So huzzah. Well, I'm glad you found it. And I'll, the only thing I'll say is that if you'd had your shop in a proper garage, you never would have lost it. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> I wish I wish you could see the state of my shop. I I could lose anything. Well, it's in, it's in the basement. You well, should maybe. see my my garage shop is meticulous. You well, you know what? What's nice in here? You know what's nice about my shop without power tools cluttering things up is that I actually can see. Other than the things that are in drawers, I can see most everything. Excuse me. I have yeah. a nice thing that I'm about to rant about for what we're unthankful for. Yes. But I might have to be unthankful for your disparaging power tools. 
Power I'm tools. Not, I'm, I'm have not honestly no, There's no correlation between the tidiness of a shop and whether or not there are power tools. No, I'm 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 jokingly mentioning power tools in this, but the fact that is dis- thin skin tonight. <laughs> I know, as disorganized as my shop is, but I can see my mallets over there. I can see all my finishes that are on the shelf over there. I can see my saws over there. I can see my magazines are up on the shelf over there. My dovetail practice sessions are all stacked up over there. You know, it's it's nice. It's it's quaint. Is that like a real estate term? My <laughs> shop is quaint. There's extra crap that I don't absolutely need. I've got insulation, like bat insulation in garbage bags. That should not be in there. You can put it in the garage and then move I should put it in the, the garage. garage. <laughs> I should I should totally put it in the garage. Anyway, so what are we not thankful for? Well, I know what I'm not thankful for. I'm. I think I'm just going to jump on your boat because I'm. I'm. I'm with you. Maybe not as heatedly as you, okay. but let's hit it. Well, I am not thankful for rustic farmhouse tables. I can I add it, or maybe it's me specifically. Uh, farmhouse tables in the new chic, made out of construction lumber type ones. I'll agree with that, but I'll say that a, a farmhouse table made of anything but construction lumber is a tragic waste of good materials. Well, th- yes. Maybe that's it. Um, and it's late, and I've tried to form a cohesive um, argument as to why farmhouse tables are the scourge of the earth. Um <laughs> And I'm hoping that this isn't just the rant of an angry, bitter woodworker from New York, but rather a more informed discussion of why farmhouse tables are legitimately a terrible piece of furniture. Okay, um, so we're gonna we're gonna go beyond the um, the overpriced Pottery Barn versions of them. Oh yeah, and, <laughs> yeah yeah. I don't and, I don't care what Pottery Barn sounds like. That's not even and, on my radar. I'm thinking and, of the the blocky. Um, uh, I don't know. To me, unattractive um, support system to the rectangular top, blah blankness. Like, well, that's just it. Is I I I've I've organized my objections to this style into three broad categories. <laughs> I see this. This is good. And the first I would say is that they are bulky. Yes. Um, I think that truly elegant furniture, and perhaps elegant is the wrong term because not all furniture needs to be elegant, but elegant furniture is is light. Um, as an example, I'll I'll say that Garrett Hack's work is very light for what it is and his tables are thin and narrow the legs are that is the support structure um and i find that attractive furniture has delicate support structure and the beauty of wood is that it is pretty strong and you can make narrow legs on a piece of furniture and still have them support the top now, Garrett Hack, when I think of Garrett Hack, I think of like 
his version of end tables and it's it's a shaker federal mixed style that he does um but there's still like that one inch by one inch that tapers down to somewhere in the ballpark or three quarter by three quarter they're very elegant narrow legs that's not going to do it for a table i understand that i don't mean to sound naive um but table legs do not need to be four by four or six by six (laughs) on these massive slab nastiness things um there's a balance to the table and the weight of the piece not the overwhelming weight of the piece but the weight of the piece should be the top the visual weight the visual weight exactly yes the visual weight um and to have have these legs that are thicker than they need to be that visually detract from the top and confuse the eye. The eye doesn't know where to look because the legs are so damn thick. It's distracting. Um, so I find that that bulkiness, it's just the wrong proportion. Um, and I don't mean to sound all, all hoity-toity in terms of, well, you have to meet this proportion to make it a successful piece, blah, blah, blah. But there are fundamentals of design that have been arrived on through eons of building things and realizing what is pleasing and what isn't. And there's almost a mathematical formula to it. And I would highly recommend um, a Donald Duck video from, I'm not sure when, (laughs) probably the 60s, called Donald's Adventures in Mathematica. What? And he talks, they talk in that about like the golden ratio and how math permeates everything, including design. Um, and I'll, I'll go on to say that the golden ratio isn't the be all end all, but the fact of the matter is there are common aesthetics that most people find pleasing. And the massive thick legs of a farmhouse table break that aesthetic. And I find it shows an ignorance towards any understanding of design. Hmm. Um, yeah. Have you seen the, the, the one that Freddie Roman recently was working on? I've seen the top. Honestly, I could not tell you what the leg structure looks like. It, it's, um, it's like scroll work. You know, I've seen almost like a like a musical clef. Yes, almost. I've yep. seen a number of tables that have legwork that way recently, um, which I have not seen them until recently. But recently, I've seen two or three tables with that kind of legwork. Um, I don't like that either. <laughs> uh, I haven't necessarily seen Freddy's, but another one I I've seen that has similar scroll work in it. Um, the scroll work was again very heavy. While it was curved, oh, yeah. it wasn't rounded over at all. Like the face of it was completely flat and the yep. side was curved in the scroll work pattern and it had to be four, maybe six inches thick. And it was just this big fat thing. Um yep. it's not doing it for me. No, I'm with you. That I um I thought that exact thing when I saw that, and I'm not taking. I don't think that it's Freddie's original work. I think yeah. he's largely being influenced by his customer. And all things being equal, I think of all the woodworkers I know, Freddie is the first to do whatever a customer wants and make a living at it. More power yep. to him for that. Oh um, yeah. Because I just know from my own personal work, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and if they like it and they're paying for it, they're right. Um, <laughs> and quite frankly, as a side note. If you're building the table and you like it, you're right too. 
this is my personal taste. This is not meant to disparage anyone. Um, but make trestle tables, please. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I saw, I saw a phrase table. Um, but th- so that was kind of my rant about the first objection I have to farmhouse tables is that they're bulky. Specifically, their undercarriage is bulky. Do you have, do you want to add anything to the bulkiness before I move on to the next point I have? No, I'm, uh, I am 100% aligned with you on the, the bulky nature. Specifically, again, about the legs. It doesn't need to be, um, so the, uh, the Rubo style workbench with its tree trunk or elephant legs, ele- <laughs> you know, they serve a purpose to be stout and stable. That's not necessarily not not necessary in I don't know of any furniture. Yeah, Ta- kitchen table, dining room table, uh, living room end table. Don't care if you're whacking on your kitchen table with a mallet. You're doing something wrong. <laughs> Right, and in if if you're not, you don't need anything of that that thick to hold it up. And I would sooner you build an actual workbench and eat off of it. Uh, <laughs> I think that would work just fine. Yes, but um, but to try to use a farmhouse table as a workbench, just just build a workbench. And no, see, so you, nice you just you just made me think. We were at a house on Sunday for a, a sports uh, luncheon thing. And I didn't notice until we were just leaving, but I looked over and they had one of the, I can only assume, Pottery Barn benches mm-hmm. turned into side table that had a vice on it. Do you remember Dave Nofts? What the heck was the name of his podcast? He was the one who termed Chris Schwartz as the Oprah of woodworking. <laughs> Um, modern Woodshop, I think Modern Woodshop. I, 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 if I'm wrong about that, please, uh, listeners, please correct me. I don't mean to be wrong. I love Dave. Um, I his was the first woodworking podcast that I just binge listened to and really went for. Um, great guy. He used to sit. He burned himself out. He did it for like a year and a half. He did it every single week, and on Friday nights he would just sit in his wherever he recorded and just it was all it was all by himself like he didn't have guests or a co-host or anything and he would just talk and great great podcast um but i'm dating myself because this is like 2010 ish um but he uh He talked about whatever you just talked about i'm sorry i completely took myself off the rails there ranting about how much i like dave knopf's um, what were you talking about, Sean? No, I have to remember. Um, oh, the the Pottery Barn. Yes, yes. I'm sorry. Yes, thing. the Pottery Barn. Yes. So it came out while he was podcasting, and he has an entire episode about it. Oh, wow. Really? I was just ranting about this this silly bench that they sold at the table. So I know the exact <laughs> bench you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that um, – that- struck a chord with me too, but that's just because I like traditional workbenches and I like, um, I don't like workbenches as furniture, but anyway, (laughs) anyway, so, uh, don't make anything, any furniture too bulky. Yes. The next, uh, my next objection and why I'm unthankful for rustic farmhouse tables is that they're fugly. (laughs) Do we need to define that? I think we, I think we should add a little bit of, uh, of objectivity to the rather subjective uh, term of fugly. Fugly? Yeah. Um, so 
I have a couple a couple points that are not each one of these is not universal to every farmhouse table, but they are common threads throughout farmhouse tables. And I challenge anyone to find a farmhouse table that has none of these traits. So, um, I often see fat turned legs with fat square tops and bottoms, as mm-hmm. if like a four by four or five by five or six by six, a big post is put on the lathe, and they turn an inelegant fat turning in the middle, leaving the two ends the square. same size square. Yep. yep. Um, is there is there a French something that inspired that, or is there is there an old style that was that that you're aware of? I'm going to say, and I'm going on a limb here expressing my I own I suck at taste, styles. So but I'm, I'm going to say that it's inspired by a faux French farmhouse style that is mass produced and doesn't truly lie in actual French farmhouse. Because okay. I can't picture an artisan of any ilk turning a leg where the base is the same exact shape and size as the top and the turnings in the middle are so fat and bloated and inelegant. Um, and I say this owning a commercially made, probably from Pier One, um, farmhouse style armoire ish wool unit thing that my mother in law bought that my wife loves. And every time I look at the legs of this, I want to throw up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's those style legs, and they're terrible. They're easily commercially made. Um, so you don't necessarily find them on the ones that are made in individual shops. But they're 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 absolutely hideous hideous legs. Um, the next point that I find fugly are legs with X bracing, mm-hmm. and this can be expressed two ways. The more offensive manner is to have straight legs turned or square on the outside with an X brace between them. Why do you need the X brace between them? Attach the leg to the stretcher properly. Put a stretcher along the bottom if you need it. And don't put that giant fat X brace in the middle. It it just gets in the way. And it again, it adds too much weight under the tabletop and distracts the eye. Um, the other form of X bracing that you see is it's almost a trestle style where there's a post in the center. Mm-hmm. And that post is connected to the top and bottom with big heavy X braces. Um, this is less objectionable in my opinion. But again, often the X braces are much, much bigger than they need to be. Um, There are many, many incredibly strong, successful dining room tables that are trestle style that have no diagonal braces. Mm -hmm. And there are lots that have very delicate, elegant diagonal braces. But to have diagonal braces that are four by four or six by six, so that kind of big square style, um, it's just, it's too much. It's visually distracting. It's too heavy. Um, You're here. Thank you. My, I'm glad. Just, I, I, I'm not sure if I appreciate that you're agreeing with me or if I'm missing the fact that we're not arguing about this. But um, <laughs> no, trust me, I have very little counterpoint to your argument. Okay. <laughs> the, the next point of fugliness is uh, is ugly paint, and there are many ways that farmhouse tables are painted. Um, maybe it's that you put paint on an ugly table, and it doesn't matter what the paint does; it's still ugly. That could be part of it. But I think in many times the paint is is ugly. And what I'm th- when I think of a farmhouse table, I think of the base painted an off-white color with mm-hmm. artificial distressing to the paint. Mm-hmm. And that's an 
unsuccessful use of paint in furniture that should be left natural wood or painted in a proper furniture style way. That's a technical term, a furniture style way of painting. Um, <laughs> Is it that, like, I'm not a fan of any painting of that type. See, I'm inclined to say that you shouldn't paint furniture, but that's too universal. Like, there are times when certain elements being painted is absolutely not just acceptable, but the right thing to do. But that's not true of these tables and the way they're painted. Yeah. Um, it's not just that painting and the photo stressing, but uh, even more so to me is when the base is painted and the top is not. Uh, okay. I'll challenge you a little bit on that. Okay, go. When done properly – I think a painted base and a natural finished top can work. But again, I think of like the work of like Garrett Hack. I don't know that he actually paints his bases, but the bases get like colored inlay and things and the tops are typically plain and the juxtaposition is nice. But I think it's again, it comes back to the fact the base is too big visually and the paint isn't this understated kind of muted counterplay to the natural wood but it's this overpowering painted surface and it's, it's distracting mm-hmm. yeah it's it's I don't know yeah not for me not for many I think See, hopefully I, it's not for me but I think it is for many because these styles these style tables seem to be incredibly popular yeah is it I mean is it popular or is it the fact that I, I see them in Pier 1 but no one's actually buying them? No, I see lots of people making them. I think they are popular. Oh, okay. Okay. Not necessarily with the paint but just the general farmhouse table style. Um, yeah. And then the final component of the fugliness is the faux distressing. Uh, um, yes. It's yeah, a dining why? room table. <laughs> it will get worn down over time through use. It should not be distressed. Yep. I don't want my farming ta- my I don't want my dining room table to look like I pulled it out of some um you know dilapidated villa somewhere. I want it to look new like the rest of the things in my house. <laughs> yes, cuz we've discussed before like your house is not like one design. It's not one style everything, but at least it's all fresh. Yes, and you know my house is. I know many houses that are in much nicer condition than mine. I have three little boys, and I don't particularly care. So things get beat up. Um, mm-hmm. I don't mean to sound all hoity-toity about that, um, and I don't think necessarily the different styles matching or not is even relevant for this. While that is my opinion that they don't necessarily need to match. Um, in terms of the faux distressing. Nothing in my house is more beat up than it absolutely needs to be because of the genuine use. So exactly. Why would why, I? Why would I? Why falsify? In, yeah. Why <laughs> would I intentionally distress the table? I want it to look as as new and fresh as possible for as long as possible. <laughs> yes, until it can't be. Exactly. And then yeah, then it's okay. Ultimately, the yep. kids will damage it, and I'll live with it. But until that point, I want it to look new. Yes. At some point, it'll be used as the cutting board, <laughs> <laughs> and or the then. Or the workbench. <laughs> You'll be assembling something on it. Or, yeah. Yeah, it, it, I, I'm totally with you. All right. Um, do you have any counterpoints or additions to Fugly? Or can we should we move on to the last No. One? 
Fugly, I think, is fairly blanket. Okay. <laughs> the the last point is is the pure function, and I I think that this is probably the most objective of my arguments against farmhouse tables. But I personally own two or three books about furniture design relative to human proportions, mm-hmm. and I know there are many guidelines about proportions on furniture about how how high off the ground the seat of a chair should be what angle it should be how much space a person needs at a table how you know how big a table needs to be to fit six people to fit eight people to fit four people whatever it is because ultimately functional furniture regardless of the aesthetics of the piece functional furniture needs to fit the people who are using it mm-hmm. and Within reason, people are an average size. There are absolutely outliers, but designing furniture, there are certain sizes that need to be accommodated for, um, and that lays into how the undercarriage of a table is laid out because part of the reason for making the legs delicate under a table, not only are they, um, is that more visually pleasing to many people? Not only does that follow the aesthetics of design canon, but functionally, a small leg is easier to keep out of out of the way. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. So, having these big, heavy legs, which are sometimes pushed all the way out to the corners. And from a functional standpoint, that works. From an aesthetic yes. standpoint, I think that's a complete and utter failure for a dining room table. But <laughs> um, but when these big heavy legs are not pushed all the way out to the corners, I think anywhere but the corner, they get in the way. Mm-hmm. For some seat. Maybe exactly. not all. Exactly. Not, not all but, the seats, but, but they some. will block some seat. And the point of a table is that you should be able to sit at it anywhere at any of the seats and not have table legs in the way of your legs. Yes. And for anyone who's ever sat on any table at a restaurant or anyone's home where you've had to straddle or there's not just yeah, if you can't if you can't fit a chair under pretty much any portion of a table, you got a problem. Exactly. If the if the if the leg and undercarriage layout interferes with where your legs should be, you know it when you sit at a table. Uh, we've Absolutely. all sat at tables where the table is so poorly designed that the undercarriage is physically in the way of sitting at it. And when I think of when I think of in my head, the stereotypical farmhouse table has the legs pushed all the way out to the corners, and at the ends has an X support in between the legs. Yes. And when I see that, all I can think of is that means no one can sit at the ends of the table. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one thing if the, if it's more like the trestle style and the legs are pushed in a little bit so that you can sit on the outside. See, and I even I, – I guess I I don't know that I've ever sat at a trestle, like a dining room trestle table. I've sat at four-post table, like leg tables, and that's what my – like my kitchen table is a four-post thing. So, okay. But we sit – on the ends and no one sits at the corners, So those legs don't interfere, which is exactly when the legs are in the corners, they're typically out of the way unless you're really overpacking the table. Right. Um, but with even trestles with that, 
you know, with that post in the middle, if it's not a footrest, I think it has a potential of getting in the way. Um, I'm, I've actually toyed around with, I, I want to make a new kitchen table. That's kind of on the long, the long list of things to do. Um, and I've toyed around with a trestle idea and I just, I just, even that I'm like, cause with a trestle, you've got a central structure at the end to hold the trestle. And as well, you have to, you have to at least have your, your ends overhang that enough so that those ends, those basically those legs that are now inset don't interfere. Yes. Yes. The, the vertical posts at either end of a trestle table absolutely need to be set in far enough so that people can sit at the ends and their their legs don't hit that. And right. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what that measurement is, but any good design guide will will reference that. Yeah, um, I've got an, another um, a guy at work wants me to work on a, a gaming table for him, not unlike the one that uh, Mark put together. Um, Mark's has years corner ago. legs, right? I believe so. And I think that's the main goal, but that that's a concern. Like I I got it partially drawn up, and um, and that's that's one of my chief things is like so it's this isn't dining, this is gaming, which is you know not that it's different seating, but it's it has different um, different amenities, I guess are are in relation there when you're sitting there playing a game and reaching over it and um, and just the position of everything and 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 how many people and all that jazz is coming into it. Anyway, it's going to be a four, four legged at the corner. I think general idea, but they might be slightly inset from the corners. If they mm-hmm. can do it, everything overhang it anyway. So yes, the yeah, so- leg place, leg placement of any table, but yeah, the farmhouse in general, uh, commits a major sin. Yeah. So that's really my objections to the rustic farmhouse table is that I think that they are unnecessarily and distractingly bulky. I think that the style of legs in particular and what is done to the legs is fugly. And I think <laughs> that from a functional standpoint, the way the legs and associated undercarriage is treated is often be moving beyond the aesthetics. It's often just physically in the way of functional use of the table. And it is not that they're... Um what I what I'm trying to say. It's it's they're not. Um, I I find it hard to believe that everyone everyone wants these things and they're 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 everywhere. I hope I hope there are more creative ways of doing this. It seems like the most basic, plainish kind of thing to slap together. Um, that also doesn't meet aesthetics or function or you know there's 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 a whole lot of things going against it that you know. I hope that people think better of. But. From from what I see on the social webs, they seem to be not everywhere, but they do seem to be wildly popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of that popularity is from. I I, I struggle to say this without sounding um, offensive, but <laughs> I think that a lot of the popularity is from an uninformed public who doesn't know anything about design. And yeah. I don't mean to suggest that there is a right design and a wrong design. Design is a very subjective thing and not everyone likes the stuff I do. I don't like the stuff everyone else does. That's fine. Um, but there are certain design fundamentals that have come about because of the way 
focus and the eye works. And again, like the heavy undercarriage under a table, it's distracting to everyone. Um, I don't think that that's an objective, uh, a subjective thing rather. I think that objectively you can say that a table base should be lighter than the top from a visual standpoint. Right. Um, and I think that you can objectively say that when the legs and the associated under, undercarriage are physically in the way, it fails as a table. Um, so I think that my objections to the farmhouse table extend beyond my subjective taste, but into truly objective problems it has. Um, I hope that's the case because I don't mean to just be ranting about how I don't like it, but I really think it is a poor design for those reasons. I uh, fair. I um. I'm unthankful for not having enough time in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you there. Because, <laughs> because, uh, uh, as I just mentioned, I, I'd like to build a new kitchen table. That's not even on the radar at mm-hmm. this point because shit's not getting done. So, wouldn't it be nice? It would. It would. I built a. I built a trestle table for my friend, and. I would so love to build it. And quickly, right? In three days. Yeah. Three days. Look at that. Three focused days. You could have that done. You send your entire family to Vermont and it's amazing what you could do. (laughs) Um, Sure. But uh, in February, I may actually get to eat at the table. So that should be nice. Oh, that'd be cool. um, I would love to build a, a fancier, like, you know, two week version of that table for my own house. But uh, but we shall see. I need to physically destroy the existing table before we make a new table. Wait, physically destroy? The On existing purpose? table needs to stop allowing us to eat at it before I can make a new table. Oh, okay. So mine is um, uh, a solder. Do you guys get solder's furniture out there? Yeah, I know. I know solder's. Okay, solder's is actually local to us, so oh, I don't know okay. how far it goes. It's no, about, it comes a, out here. about an hour away. Um, it, I, from what I understood, it's everywhere. But um, it it is it was my wife's mother's, and it's like a round table with inserts, so it's oval. Okay. We, we only have one insert in it, so it's not greatly oval. But when it was a circle, there was like at one point it didn't have any inserts in it, and there was some moisture that got into it, and so the lamination of uh, the top has like swollen, and now that's that's on either side of an insert that got put in and it's been like that for over a decade <laughs> that we've used it as our kitchen table. And, um, it's not that it's unusable, but there's a lot that's nicer than that. <laughs> Anything would be better. Uh, so, but anyway, that, but that being said, it's, it's so far down the, down the list of shit to do. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I don't know. So, uh, there you go. In this this uh, holiday season, be unthankful for something. <laughs> it's healthy. I think so. I think so. Um, but what's not to be thankful for is good beverages. What's not? No, what is to be thankful for? Or, or what is to be thankful for? To not to not be thankful for. <laughs> there you go. Double negative makes positive. That's what the cartoons always told me. <laughs> um. So, um, I um. This doesn't it doesn't make a nice as nice sound as the last one. It's there, but it's it's a can. 
instead. Um, I picked up um, Odd Side Ales. Do you get those? No, I've never heard of the brand. No, you get this because it's a Citra Dank Juice is the name of it. That sounds appealing. This is an India Pale Ale with Citra Hops in the New England style. Mm. A good New England style Pale Ale is wonderful. A poorly executed New England style Pale Ale is poorly executed. This is good. Okay. Um, I don't love IPAs. I'll drink them. Um, Have you had a genuine New England IPA? Probably not. Okay. I don't know. Um, I don't know who makes a good genuine that I would be able to have over here. I'm trying to think of one that would distribute that far. Like the the poster child for New England IPA is Alchemist, but they don't distribute outside of Vermont. No. Um, and they're not as good as people make them out to be. They're very like, good. But I've had Dogfish stuff. That's not mm. I know. Dogfish no. is very good, but they're not New England style at not all. Not New England. And um, I've had Six Point, but I don't think that's right. yeah. Again, not New England. Yeah, New England, I don't know the, the 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 defining characteristic, in my opinion, of a New England IPA is that it has a clean dankness to it. Um, mm. which by the name of this sounds like it's achieving that. But it, I've had many poor versions of a New England IPA. So unless you can really compare it to what is truly a, a really good New England IPA, yeah. Um I hope it's really good, but it, just it because they good. say they are doesn't unfortunately doesn't mean they are. I will say so Citra hops, if if you can distinguish the hops, Citra is um like it sounds, it has a citrus mm. taste to it. Um so it 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 has a dank smell to it. It has a uh, not a terribly dank taste to it, but there's definitely a dank thing going on there. And dank's such a funky word to use as a descriptor. Yeah, but. It, it is the absolute appropriate descriptor, but I have no idea how to like, describe it. To yeah, I couldn't tell you what that is, but yes, there is some dank. You know, you have you a good have, New England IPA, you'll know it's dank. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but the citra it, it leaves you with a citrus juicy mm. taste, which is nice. Um, and it cuts the and it's not terribly bitter, there's which one- I like. I couldn't tell you the brand. My brother-in-law brought it over, um, and it was a nice, dank New England IPA, and it had the citra hops. And when you poured it into a glass, it literally looked like orange soda. Like It looked like a mix between orange soda and carrot juice. Like It was that kind of orange. That orange. Um, And it it didn't taste as funky as it looked. It tasted good. It was just a clean, crisp um, citrus – it was it was very good. I have to, I have to look up what it was, but yeah, I'm curious. Um, no, the citra hops that I can get be up. very good. So yeah, citra citra is good. Galaxy is another hop I really like. Um, okay. Anyway, anyway, that's um. So odd side ales. I've only heard good things about odd side. I don't see a bunch of them, but um, I did see this one came in came in cans. No, the cans um, are the big thing. I've I just heard. I know. Um, the Vermont Brewers Association just shared today that as of a brewery, I couldn't th- remember changing over today over half of vermont breweries are offering cans they are really yeah yeah it's coming back i i i I will say i've noticed it in my beer store um what what you're seeing a lot of are the pint size cans Mm, no i don't we're not seeing that yet i see see i'm still seeing sixers of of this but like this came this is a separated i got a single of it but um they're selling them in six and four packs in can okay. in twelve ounce cans. Six Point sells a six pack of twelve ounce cans. 
Yes, um, and they're th- those are those thin, tall. Exactly, they're thin and yeah. tall. Um, yeah. But every other microbrew that sells cans that I deal with, that I I frequent, they're selling four packs of pint size cans. Really? Yeah. Um, huh. It might just be a New England thing, because um, I know I know Vermont breweries who only sell in cans in those pint size cans. Like Alchemist only sells pint size cans; they don't sell bottles. I mean, I I can only assume it's cheaper. It's it's arguably supposed to be better because it protects the beer from the sun. Yeah, there's you, know, you no... don't get the UV degradation you would get out of a out of a glass bottle. Yeah, but there's something classy about a glass bottle. Like for some reason, the pint can is okay, but the twelve the standard twelve ounce can, like <laughs> Dogfish Head, has started using standard twelve inch cans. Seen, yep, I've seen some so, of the cans. I've I've had sixty minute out of a twelve out of a twelve ounce can, and, and it's it's just not the same. Like it, it is yeah. the same. It's arguably better, but it's just not the same. Yeah, I think that's why Six Points uses the tall cans because something emotionally a regular twelve ounce can is just it's not a premium beer. It doesn't matter what's in it. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't tonight, but I I I so, usually the crafty stuff I pour out. So I can see it, but um, I also like just giving it a little air and getting it out of the can. But um, yeah, it's it definitely is different. Yeah, it's yeah, well, whatever. I'm gonna go with an old classic, which, as far as I'm aware, is not available in cans. And I'm I'm calling it an old classic because I've been drinking it since I've been drinking beer. Um, but I'm gonna go with Sam Adams Oktoberfest. Yep. I don't know that it is the absolute best Oktoberfest out there, but it's pretty damn close. And <laughs> this season, I have tried a number of other Oktoberfests, specifically the Saranac Oktoberfest, and I've only met with disappointment. Um, oh. The Sammy Oktoberfest is a true, good, solid Oktoberfest. Um, that, that's really all I have to say. Like, it's a little spicy. It's a little sweet. It's... It's just a solid Oktoberfest, and I highly recommend it if you can get it, especially this time of year. Well, this is really the time of year you can get it, but it, it's not a good summer beer. You need it to be a little cooler. Uh, it's got a nice kick to it. It's it's a good beer. What um, what makes a good Oktoberfest? I think it needs a little bit of spice to it. Okay. Like the the um, the Saranac Oktoberfest was a good lager, but that's really all it was. Like there was no spice or kick to it. Whereas the Sammy, it's got a little bit of a sweetness, a little bit of cinnamon, a little bit of spice. It, there's just there's something about the the seasoning of it that it's a little bit more complicated a taste than just a, a nice clean lager. Um, and okay. I, I think I'm I'm ex- displaying my ignorance here, but I think that what moves it into a Marzen as opposed to a lager, okay, in terms of its style, um. It's a little bit richer. It's a little bit fuller. It's a little heavier in terms of its taste. Uh, again, making it not an appropriate summer beer. It doesn't have the light crispness you want in a summer beer. It's a. It's, it's not a stout by any means, but it's a heavier lager. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has a nice, almost a cinnamon hint to it. Like there's a nice subtle flavoring. Um, that's that's what I find to be good in an Oktoberfest. Um, and Again, Sam Adams just makes a really solid one. I, I, I think there are probably microbrews who do this, who probably do it a little bit better. Um, but of 
Sam Adams, you know, 20 years ago, Sam Adams was the cutting edge, I think. And unfortunately, as they've grown in popularity, the world has moved past them in terms of um, styles and high-end products. But okay. I think that the, the Oktoberfest still stands on its own as a world-class beer. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful beer. Hmm. Excellent. I I, uh, I probably have one of those every year when they come around. Um, just, just cause, mm. um, I don't say, I won't say I had them early. I don't think I, I wasn't adventurous when I started drinking, <laughs> um, uh, to even, to even notice that there was Sam Adams, let alone anything else. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good one. Very good. So here, here to the holiday season, like click a can. Everything we're unthankful for. Cheers. <laughs> That's an unthankful clank. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, that um, I, that just about ties us up then, I guess. Uh, you're allowed to be unthankful for things. Criticize and, and frankly, as frankly, you're allowed to make farmhouse tables. I will yes. mock you for them. That's my right, <laughs> and your right is to make them and enjoy them. So I hope this wasn't too offensive to anyone. Um, ultimately... The point is to get in your shop and make something you like, and it doesn't matter what it is. As long as you like making it in the shop, it's worthwhile. I want to make a farmhouse table out of toothpicks now, or or a popsicle sticks. Maybe that sounds even better. To make anything out of toothpicks or popsicle sticks sounds incredibly tedious. Oh, super glue does wonders. Anyway, uh, with that. That just about wraps up this episode. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play Music. Uh, just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. Then you'll be sure to never miss any one of our exciting episodes where you can talk about what you're unthankful for. Uh, while you're there, please leave us a review. Thank you for listening to the Modern Woodworkers Association and indulging my rant about farmhouse tables. <laughs> if you like the show, be sure to visit modernwoodworkersassociation.com. You can follow the MWA on Twitter at MWA underscore national. You can like the MWA on Facebook or follow the MWA on Instagram at MWA underscore podcast. And the best thing you can do is tell a friend because word of mouth goes a long way in sharing our discussion. There you go. I am uh, Sean Wisniewski of The Corner Workshop. I am at SeanW78 on most social medias, including Untapped, where we talk about beer. I am Diami Plotke. I am Penultimate Beer on Untapped. I am at Diami Plotke on Twitter. I am Penultimate Woodshop on Instagram. And if you want to follow my blog, you can go to renaissancewoodworker.com. <laughs> so with that uh take a farmhouse table um take a a cut old disc or a die grinder and carve it into something elegant and lovely Hold on one second. I'm going to have to edit this out. I say you leave it in.